Blue moon of Kentucky, keep on shining. Shine on the one that's gone and let me blue. I said blue moon of Kentucky, keep on shining. Shine on the one that's lost and let me blue. It was on a moonlit night, stars shining bright. Whisper on high. Love a sick goodbye. I said blue mahuna Kentucky keep on shining. Shine on the one that's lost and let me blue. I said blue mahuna Kentucky keep on shining. Shine on the one that's gone and left me blue. TV. Go walking after midnight, out in the moonlight, just like we like to. Always walking after midnight, searching for me. I walked a mile along the highway. That's just my way. Oh, saying I love you. Always walking after midnight, searching for you. I stopped to see a weeping widow crying out this pillow. Maybe he's crying for me. All right, we got it here. Wow, that was so easy. When, now that I can do it on the computer. It's a miracle. It snowed in Ohio on 420. Bless. Blessings. We're blessed out here, fam. Ah, how's everybody doing today? I really have nothing, so this should be interesting. I haven't really been thinking of anything. My head is, my brain is kind of smooth. Like I've just been, nothing really going on. Nothing really to think about or talk about. So we'll just, uh, we'll see what's going on. I had a peanut butter sandwich for lunch. That's usually what I have for lunch. It's pretty easy. Uh, I got the fluoride stare and the inch stare. I've got both of them. Uh, oh, people are talking about variants. Oh, we're all... don't give me anything about variants, folks. Don't give me any of this, okay? No, I don't care if I don't care. If... COVID becomes a sentient being and starts ravaging the countryside. We're not going to let it happen again. I really don't think so. I think that absent some sort of, you know, tube neck, super flu, Captain Trip situation, we're just going to, in the places where we're now blanketing with vaccines, we are just going to act like it's all going away. And if likelihood of getting sick, likelihood of dying goes up, it gets metabolized as part of doing business. 
So I'm done. I'm done speculating about any fucking COVID area, anything. Like I said, unless unless it's like uh, COVID-23, like that fucking movie that's now available that's about the fourth year of lockdown, which was made uh, last summer. Something that absolutely is baffling to imagine someone thought was a good idea. Apparently it was Michael Bay. And of course that means that, you know, the least, uh, the most vulnerable people are going to keep dying more than they need to, more than they should. But that's a one-way ratchet. That's really the, uh, that's the horror of this thing is that nobody at the, at the level of, of the most acute encounters with, uh, with the existentially annihilating features of contemporary capitalism are coordinate, are, uh, organized politically in a way to even express the reality of their, uh, of their oppression. Like the only people you got in the fucking media sphere in 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 the conversation are issues that while they may be serious are always put through sort of a filter of uh middle class anxiety not working class uh outrage and i think that's one of the big reasons that things kind of stalemate politically is that the only people talking are people who are more afraid of falling than they are uh, truly feeling uh, something that approximates the experience of living in this country. Because honestly, I've said this before, I feel like that experience is so uh, disenchanting with America's trappings and rituals of power and politics that people make a... uh, Beyond the fact that they are not, they don't really have access to a lot of the uh, avenues for expression that that people take for granted at a higher strata. If they wanted to, they wouldn't bother because the, the absurdity of it is already self-evident. And that's why the continued immiseration of the middle class. The continued uh, like dissolution uh, of the middle class and its attendant uh, cascading um, nervous breakdowns that cat that make up politics right now uh, are both. I mean, it's it's a process that's being driven materially, but the politics of it are so detached from real not only conditions, but uh, levers of power that it seems like as things get worse, at least in the firmament of politics, things are only going to get more absurd until something ruptures. Why do I not care about the working class? That's an interesting question. Uh, I I guess I don't know what the word care means. In that instance, like, do I have a, do I have a sense of like human recognition that like the working class is made up of people and therefore, uh, you know, uh, my 
existential like co-species members who uh, uh, uh I mean I certainly I don't think you could argue I mean I I don't know I don't know what that means I don't know what it means care Could somebody who's asked the question uh, go a little more in depth as what they mean by that? That's so weird. I feel like that really does speak to the nature of politics because it is now in a a series of public demonstrations ritualized public demonstrations of virtue, and that is all politics, not just liberal politics. That's what QAnon freaks do, too. They're, they're showing their virtue, that they're the ones who care about child uh, uh, zoos and, and closing them. Uh, and so everything gets turned into a, a, a bidding war on who cares the most. But Care, by definition, doesn't mean – it doesn't definitionally connect to action because you have to perform that caring. You have to actually take care, the emotion of care, and invest it with action that corresponds to the feeling. But there's nothing in our politics that necessitates any one path there. And a lot of the path people take to show they care is to show they care. And it's not something you can blame people for because it is, for most folks, I think, the only channel available to them that feels accessible. Everything else just feels too big and impossible. But if you have the feeling, you want to express the feeling in the moment. You don't want to bank it up and feel bad. And so you you perform, you, you pronounce. I mean, I care about the working class and that I wish we had one. Jesus fucking Christ. Like, not because they're good people, not because they're better than other people in some moral sense, but that they have the relationship to capitalism. They have the uh, unity of interest to drive history. So, like, do I care about the working class? It's like, it'd be great if we had one of those. It would be wonderful. In the meantime, we have people who are at various stages of being dissolved in the acid of uh, finance capitalism. Like, we're all in the stomach of a giant beast being eaten. And we're just fighting with each other because we can't see the, the, the stomach. We can't see it. But it is, but the thing that stops the working class from existing more than anything is that while there is that unity of interest that can be forged, it has to be forged out of social existence and cooperation, and we just don't live that way. 
That's the challenge. And that's what everything has to start from. That's what you have to engage with. Uh, and it's one of the hardest things to really look at with sober sense because it does make a lot of the things that seem important and that invest your time with a sense of a charged sense of meaning with a charged sense that you are an agent of history and not just a passive uh, victim of it uh, is actually very much illusory and, and, uh, and carts ahead of the horses. I mean, anyone whose instinct is, is to edit the left, right. To say X, Y, or Z has no business in the left, no matter what it is, they might even be right in some abstract sense that if you had a left, you wouldn't want people like that in it. Betray a complete denial of the reality of the situation, which is that there is no left in this country, as I've said before. I've been, I have not really, I got to admit it, I've not really been writing because I've been uh, kind of stuck in this, uh, this self-conscious loop about like what exactly I'm trying to get out, what the point of writing is. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that like a lot of the stuff that I want to get across makes most sense in like this format, in, in the, in the spoken in the direct address format, and so as a result, I am putting, I am working on on some on some projects that are premised on these this form of address, then like turned into writing or turned into something else. But I am lo looking to start a writing project soon that will be uh, not directly political. Like that's what I've realized is uh, is that if it's worth the stuff that's worth like trying to push into a new and different uh, means of expression that is not something that I'm terribly familiar with, uh, it's going to have to be – the reason I basically end up always freezing up when I try to write is because I always end up getting stuck on where to start, how to cut the thing, because we're talking about everything. And, and like when I'm speaking – it's like the, the I'm propelled forward sort of by the momentum of trying to express something. And then that ends up tunneling me kind of through it uh, without me even picking as I go. But when I try to write, that becomes overwhelming. Uh, so I'm going to sort of let this be the mechanism for, for shaping it. That's why I think if you had something that was fictional, for example, uh, it would, and more, uh, uh, abstract in its relationship to politics, you can tunnel through from that perspective. So we'll see. We'll see what it ends up being.
Ah, the Carnation Revolution. You know I love talking about the Carnation Revolution. I don't think we would see anything in America. I remember, of course, we're talking about in a, in a context of collapse, right? We're not talking about the, the army just marching out of the barracks at any point in the future. We're assuming that there is a crisis that comes on, you know, on the hoofbeats of the night. And you can point to things that say that's possible, that, that we might be getting there. Uh, but again, technology is the X factor here. Technology uh, is the is the thing that very well could change all of these uh, rates of decline. Because we're talking, we all decline is is written in, but rate of decline is the is the question. So if you have enough of a rate of decline, if you have a steep enough rate of decline, I don't think you're going to see some organized, uh, ideologically socialist military movement, sadly, just because uh, the ingredients don't exist for it. Because that's what happened with Carnation Revolution, is that you had this like middle strata of um, army officers who uh, had been disenchanted with the Estado Novo and specifically the disastrous um, uh, colonial wars in Africa that they were fighting, turned to try to find a new explanation and and they 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 found marxism the same way that like nasser and the uh baath party guys all found uh arab nationalism uh and that's and they picked that because of the context of their uh their moment and you have to take that into consideration there is no context that's going to create self-consciously Marxist political op- military officers in our disenchanted middle strata of uh, of the ar- of the military. The best thing you're likely to say is that if political conflict escalates along its sort of increasingly uh, uh, identitarian lines, which is sort of in the interest of capitalism and is like sort of inherently built into. Uh, the nature of crisis under capitalism, that the military provides the the means for organized power outside of an identitarian framework from emerging. Which is certainly not what people are, are hoping will, you know, save the day. I didn't do these two hands. Somebody says I'm drinking like Trump. I didn't do this. God, I love that. This guy was the most alpha person in America, right? This guy represented for, uh, what, like half, half the white guys in America, maybe more, uh, represented uh, just – masculinity and it's uh, untrammeled power to overrun uh, our our emasculated social niceties and he just goes it's just amazing uh, I don't even know if I miss I mean I guess I miss him if I'm being honest 
just because that's a thing that I don't get to experience anymore is him doing things like that is him saying things is him tweeting things. And there, it is like, it's a, it's like a, you know, like a hint of hint of paprika or something in a, in, in your egg salad. If it's gone, you miss it. He does seem though, to have disappeared as a political force as soon as he lost his, uh, platform and man what the hell happened to q what the hell happened to q it really does feel like the millerites they came down the mountain and they just like went their separate ways i guess we're have, gonna have to wait for them to go into hibernation and come out with some new shit We haven't even had the stochastic political violence that everyone was assuming was going to happen. Remember a couple weeks ago when somebody crashed a car into the uh, Capitol and like there was a, an hour where every lib on Twitter was absolutely convinced that it was like uh, another another QAnon Sally. And then it was like, no, the guy is in the Nation of Islam. Everyone just decided to change the channel because at the end of the day, it really is people who are just looking for something to do on the internet. It's not a thing to worth to be worth dying over. That's really the thing that's, I think, holding back political violence in this country from where a lot of people want it to be, sort of subconsciously, or imagine it should be. It's that, yes, I would argue that a lot of Americans are at a point where they are willing to fucking kill uh, because of how they are feeling precarious, stressed, alienated. They're absolutely willing to kill. Many fewer of them, though, are willing to die. And without that willingness to die, uh, it's hard to get off the couch. And that's because we're getting more alienated. We're getting more, uh, it's becoming more unbearable to live moment to moment. We've become more uh, disenchanted from the uh, mechanisms of control that we have internally and externally uh, uh, built. But that alienation is built on uh, a, a foundation of pure nihilist or pure materialist selfishness. Uh, we, we, we imagine that there is no God, there is nothing but our pleasure and our experience, uh, which must be hoarded and, and extended as far as possible to push back the specter of an annihilation. But that means that no matter how bad, bad things get, it's very hard for us to get in a position of endangering ourselves because the thing we're really afraid of is that obliteration. Uh, and that's why I really do think that in order to have any hope of a, a resistance to uh, full... Uh, dissolution of like the individual consciousness into a soup of, of pure um, 
pure nerve ending, pure stimulus response, uh, is going to be uh, a revitalization of a religious instinct, which can mean anything as long as what it means at the end is uh, a proper emotional uh, perspective for your own personal safety uh, and your own continued pleasure and existence. And that doesn't mean any specific religion. It just mean it could mean anything as long as it's persuasive enough to get you to act. And I think that's, it's going to be very different, but, it's going to be variated. I think it's going to be syncretic. And it's going to come under some sort of banner. I mean, essentially a holy war against capitalism is, is, is necessary. No, that is not uh, the People's Temple. The People's Temple was a self-sealing uh, cult. I mean, it was it 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 was so organized around the personal fixations of Jones, the personal ego of Jones, that it required very brittle, uh, very very brittle borders. Uh, in order to maintain the internal uh, structure and coherence. But a lot of people at the time thought that they were, you know, a emancipor- emancipatory force, especially in California, where they became part of the Moscone political machine. It's a reasonable fear to be feared for for the end of yourself, but it it's only reasonable with certain false assumptions buried on top of it. Like, in a very real sense, death is not a thing to fear because it is a uh, it's it. I mean, I know this sounds kind of goofy, but it is just an energy transference. Like you, the stuff that makes you up doesn't go anywhere because they're is nowhere for it to go because this is one universe and it is one like consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. And then a lot of the fear that we have is built on the illusion of our egos. And that might not mean anything just to hear. And you might be, well, and that thing for me, for most of my life, I heard this stuff. I thought, okay, yeah. Not, I don't care. It's it's still all I have is my precious stream of consciousness and my mind. It's all I have. Yes, yes, cosmic mind, death isn't real, blah, blah, blah. But what about when I go, no, no, I can't go away. Oh, my God. And that's true of any religious uh, idea. Uh, From the outside, none of them are persuasive. 
from the inside, they are fully persuasive. And you have to get inside something. You have to get inside some sort of uh, consciousness shift that puts you, abstracts you away from that animal-like terror. Because if you're, it is very, you, you're not going to die in the very near future, probably. And if you do, well, that could happen to anybody. You're, pro, you're, you're relatively safe. But it's the fact, I think, that so much of our time is spent alone, really alone, including all the time we spend on the Internet. That that time alone builds a morbid reification of the ego. It, it, it petrifies your ego into this totalizing thing. Whereas like social, social existence, like there's a reason, one of the big reasons that religion uh, persists in traditional social arrangements is because a socialized life where you are not spending most of your time by yourself with your thoughts is one where there is just simply less opportunity to just build up an ego. And now we are all alone, and we are all spending a lot of our atomized time just slowly like a stalactite building this hardened uh, promontory of, of, of ego and fear around uh, the elimination of that ego that it makes us, it becomes impossible to move at all. It becomes impossible to do anything because anything can lead to a decline. Anything can lead to less pleasure than you have now. And that's what's so funny about woke. Somebody says this, wokeness is a religion. It is absolutely banal to say that. Of course, wokeness is, a, is now a religion in this, because secular liberalism is the final, or the I guess I don't know if it's the final stage. It's it's the most recent stage of uh, liberal Protestantism, and before that, fucking Calvinism. It's like you get a you get, there's a straight line from the fucking Puritans to modern wokeness, and what it is is it is it is personalized. Calvinist religious obsession where there is an individual relationship with God where your relationship with God is not one of connection but one of eternal separation, God as unscrutable and unknowable and terrifying, where our only ability to soothe our fear of God is by performing in a way that we imagine that he would uh, approve of. And over time, as as the people who believe this center in those urban areas, those big cities, like first Boston and then New York, and as they spend time in their parlors, read their Darwin, the religious, the actual emotional fear of God goes away. And, and, and God is turned into, uh, instead, the self. We replace God with ourselves. And so we have to 
manifest virtue in our lives to affirm our our status to show that we are good but what this doesn't have at its heart is belief it's neurotic it's pure neuroses now the same thing is happening to conservative protestantism cuz White Protestantism, I, I, you got to say white because, you know, it's, it defines everything uh, once, once slavery emerges. Because, you know, there is a black Protestant tradition, but it's different because of race. Uh, it splits off. And you have merchant northern uh, Protestantism turning into congr- – going from Puritanism to Congregationalism to mainline uh, – uh, Protestantism until finally it's not even nominally Protestant anymore. It's, it's, it's just a universal uh, virtue ethic that you're p- carrying out. Unconnected from uh, any belief in anything transcendent. In fact, it's been turned into manners like, like our, uh, like all of our politics gets turned into, but then at the, at the root, at the, at, the, at the sharp end of Manifest Destiny's fucking spear, the people who subdued the land, scalped the Indians and fucking uh, enslaved Africans, um, God also died but was re- and was replaced by the self. But, not, but uh, there, the focus is on showing your virtue through your domination and mastery of the land, as opposed to, amongst the Northern liberals, the domination and mastery of the South. I have restrained myself, and that is why I am good, as opposed to, I have indulged myself, and that is why I am good. And what shapes those two approaches to religion uh, is is your economic productive mechanism. The farther you are away from the sharp edge of exploitation, the more you are able to uh, fashion a politics of moral virtue as performance and moral abstinence as performance. If you're closer to exploitation, uh, it cannot be sustained. Indulgence essentially makes up for the the uh, the the moral dearth at the center of it. Now that's not now. Of course, Black Protestantism isn't completely different because it's American, also, and you've got guys like your Creflo Dollarses, your P- T G Jakeses. Uh, that are essentially reflections of like the, the, the white Protestant uh, opportunity gospel, but that's because uh, class operates in, um, in the black community too, and pulls people apart at least, or income, I guess, because class is going away completely.
I'm good, thanks. Unsolved Mysteries. I watched all of that shit. Terrifying. The, the theme song still struck in my head. Terrifying. Apparently they brought back Unsolved Mysteries and there's no there's no host and there's no voiceover. What the fuck, man? What what do you even know what you're getting? You even know what people liked about it? It was Robert Stack of television's The Untouchables. Never going to start watching anime. I really, I really don't think it's going to happen. I've, I've thought people have asked me about anime, and I, I just have to, I just have to say it's something that very little, uh, very little appeal to me. But then again, who knows? I could encounter the Buddha in the road and kill him, and decide that all I can uh, watch now is giant uh, robots have fight over they fight aircraft carriers i don't know barnes and noble stories uh i have one like classic like readers digest head slapper moment where somebody came up to me at the information desk and said that their kid needed a book for school and they needed to know the author, and it was the complete works of Shakespeare. Do I feel weird or guilty that I have a job doing this, talking about Marx and shit, while everyone's struggling? I mean, obviously I feel weird about it. I would say that that weird feeling is the main generator of everybody having politics in this country. Uh, it's everybody feels a weird sense of, of guilt. Uh, if they have, if they have, if they're struggling less than others. And of course they've been acculturated to feel that way. Plenty of people have not and don't. And in fact, resent being asked to feel guilty for other people. Uh, but a lot of, if you are acculturated a certain way, if you, if you take the college pill as I did, you, yeah, of course you feel guilty. You feel weird and guilty about everything. Uh, and I, I think the challenge, though, is to identify those feelings and then ask yourself, okay, what does this mean? Like, what should I do with this? As opposed to, I think what generally happens is leaving it as this unresolved catalyst for anxiety within you that leads you to wrong conclusions, that leads you to jump to things as a way to purge it. Because the most, the main thing that that mass guilt does is demo, demobilizes and de, or de, uh, de not depoliticizes, extra politicizes people, but demobilizes people. Because if you're guilty, if you're responsible, uh, then who are you to 
imagine that you can make anything better beyond uh, unless you purge the guilt. And the thing about the guilt is it cannot be purged. Only the changing of the conditions can get rid of the guilt and nothing is changing the conditions because people who are doing relatively well, they don't want to what renounce all their worldly goods. They could do that, but they're, they have, they have personal uh, selfish urges. They have, they have self-interest. They have duty to others that they want to continue to, um, honor. And that means that they have to construct a, a, a mental structure that justifies their position. And then you, you do that either like Republicans do by blaming those people who are below you saying it's actually, it's their fault for making me feel bad. Fuck them. Or, uh, by creating a ritual of, uh, self abnegation that cleanses you like a, a, a ritual cleansing. I mean, that guilt is the same guilt that powered the Puritans and everybody else. It's the original sin, which is now framed in a capitalist, uh, in capitalist terms. Like we imagine the original, our original sin in the middle classes as, as a, uh, as a, we imagine our original sin as a, as a sin of exploitation. Which it is. I mean, we all are in a machinery of, of misery somewhere or another. Uh, and to some degree, we are having our time alienated and, and t- exploiting the, the alienated time of others. And then we have to cleanse that. But religion is, is close to us. Real religion is close to us. So we have to do it secularly. And that's what politics ends up being, a secular demonstration of that. Man, somebody's asking about the Oscars. Why did they not just cancel the Oscars this year? Why the fuck did they why why are they pretending that this thing is still real? I mean, if movies are coming back this year, just like just say, hey, we're not doing it this year. Like when they didn't have the Olympics. They didn't have the Olympics. They they're not doing a fucking Zoom Olympics. There were no movies. There were no movies. No movies came out last year. I don't recognize any of these as movies. I'm sorry. 
And what I mean by that is forgetting even the streaming thing is that none of them have any, like, is there any mark left by any of these? It just feels like it's such a decline. It's such a, it's a, it's, and obviously it's because film, I hate to say it, but film is dead. Because to me, the theatrical experience is, it is definitionally, definitionally enmeshed in the concept of a film. I feel like if you don't, I mean, yes, you can watch a movie at home. You can watch a movie on your phone and it's still a movie. But if without the theatrical ritual of a thing being uh, displayed in public, people coming together to watch it, to ha- at least having the possibility of doing that, and then the first impressions of that movie forming in that experience and then filtering out, I don't think that you really have film. You have something else. You have streaming content, which is what we now have. I feel like the, the streaming is its own new genre that has replaced and synthesized television and film to the detriment of both because this is a negative dialectic. It's just straining all the good, all the art out and, and turning it into and, and leaving only the residue uh, of, of commerce and pandering. So there's no, uh, there's no more movies. So they really should get rid of the Oscars because Oscars are for movies and there's no more movies. But we do have the on cinema Oscar special, which is uh, of course worth it. I honestly do feel like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood might have been the last movie. When you look at that, like that movie is this, it's the culmination of Tarantino's career. It's this look back on on, on the golden age of, of Hollywood, a thing that was a movie that was intimately about the theatrical experience and that was theatrically released and was a huge success theatrically. That feels like the last real movie. And there's talk about them being, there being like a 20 hour streaming version and I will watch the shit out of it and I will love it, but it won't be a movie. It'll be, it'll be a streaming uh, product. It'll just be a really good streaming product. Yeah, I mean, yeah, movies had their run. There were movies for a while. Now they're gone. I'll still be around as a curio, like, uh, you know, like theater, but it's just no longer a, a genre with a, with a dominant cultural influence. Yeah, no, the Snyder Cut wasn't a movie either. I was annoyed that they acted like it was a movie. They could do all this stuff. But the only movies left will be James Cameron movies. He's going to be the one to keep it going. God bless him. I will be there when Avatar 2 comes out, and 3, and 4. I will watch Avatar 5 in a climate refugee uh, uh, camp.
fucking half a billion dollars to make a Lord of the Rings TV show on Amazon. Half a billion dollars. Hachi fucking machi. And it doesn't even have any of the favorite, your Tolkien favorite characters. It really tells you that we are at a point now where we have gotten rid of the commercial. Uh, there's no longer a commercial structure to art. To it. It's almost now becoming either algorithm, just an algorithmic uh, uh, re- response to, to what people click on, or the personal... Uh, Desires of billionaires. Which is why that fucking piece of shit, Jeff Bezos, needs to fucking write a check that is less than he spends on Skull Shiner on a month to make another season of Lodge 49, for Christ's sake. That's how you know he's evil, is that he's never brought back Lodge 49. Unless he does bring back Lodge 49, in less case, he'll still be evil, but... uh one-tenth of a percent less. Somebody said, uh, some rich dude said that Elon Musk could do Jurassic Park if he wanted to, like make a real Jurassic Park. And I got to wonder why no super rich person has tried doing that yet. Like all their stuff is this fantasy of escaping to Mars or whatever. Why don't, why don't you want to make a fucking like Willy Mammoth real? It's not impossible. We could create some sort of there's there's human monkey hybrids, baby. You can absolutely make a fucking dinosaur. How about we do Congo and we create uh, evil silver apes, evil white apes, super intelligent. Give them guns. Apparently China has hybrid monkey humans. Yeah, what the hell happened to nanobots? 
Where the hell is our damn nanobots? We were promised tiny, tiny, tiny machines. Instead, all we have are those damn Boston Dynamics killer dog robots running around. Those things are not nanobots. It really kind of makes you think that all that shit's complete fucking bullshit. All of the fantasies of singularity and space travel are just the things we tell ourselves as the microwave gets warmer and warmer and as we start popping like sausages. It really is fitting that a fucking scamp, like a Lyle Landley guy like Elon Musk is the richest man in the world right now on paper. And that his companies are obscenely valued considering what they put out. It's because he is the person who, more than anyone, represents a, uh, a, a future. Because capitalism is without future. Everyone knows that. Everyone can see before them that the given structure we have leads only to immiseration and annihilation. Everyone on all sides is agreed upon, no matter if you're reactionary, you're leftist, you're a liberal – you see the, the way things are going. You see the trend line. Unless you're Steven Pinker, you don't think there's a future. But then you've got this guy, Musk, who's, hey, he's the richest guy in the world. He must know what he's talking about. He must be able to master this stuff. Who says, we're going to do tunnels underground. We're going uh, to have renewable batteries everywhere and electric cars. And we're going to have Mars missions. And we're going to have brain uh, – we're going to have brain – uh, what the fuck's it called? Neural links? We're going to have a fucking cybernetic brain links. We're going to have a sci-fi future. And that is his role, is to, is to allow people to perform some, some sort of uh, faith in the continuity of the system through a technological innovation. But all of this stuff is made up. It's maybe hypothetically possible – but its distance from being practically applicable is cavernous. And pursuing it while everything else falls apart and while all of the things that we take for granted as, as part of the, the technological and economic infrastructure that power the global system are, are losing uh, their uh, functionality, are turning... Are, are fucking falling apart before our eyes. It's it's madness. It's it's the final Ponzi scheme at the end of capitalism, which has just been since it's begun a series of Ponzi schemes. Like America, the American experiment is a Ponzi scheme. It is the fantasy of eternal and unending growth. That there will always be something for the next guy to have. And what has allowed that to happen uh, has been technology. So that you concentrate capital, concentrate it, concentrate it, you destabilize uh, a biome, you destabilize a social order, technology comes in and saves the day. Technology rescues the instant. 
or if it's thanks to some, if there's, you know, before, before we had a global economic structure, uh, one collapse would be uh, made up for by a boom somewhere else. But now uh, that's all foreclosed. And so we are now left with this fantasy of technology um, unmoored from reality, but somehow worth real money. Because at this point, we cannot afford, in a literal sense, to acknowledge the nudeness of the emperor because there's no other emperor. There's nobody else in town. No one else can, can uh, resolve the contradictions within the system. Any other meaningful attempt to get out of this, this uh, crisis requires challenging capitalism. And that is the one thing that can't be allowed to happen. It does appear we live in a society. Isn't that a bitch? Oh, man. I Honestly, the, it's so funny. Ghislaine Maswell goes on trial on Friday. And it's like, at this point, it doesn't matter. Like, I guess that's why she never they didn't kill her, because so much stuff has happened since Epstein that everyone recognizes that well, what's the worst that can happen? What comes out? Oh, yeah. Oh, these guys are all pedophiles. Okay, so what? We got other stuff to worry about. I am intrigued, though. I am intrigued by the, the trial. I will be checking it out. Were elites ever held accountable? Uh, no. Uh, the only times you really get any kind of elite accountability is the occasional paroxysm of collapse-induced uh, political revolution and then conquest by a different uh, social order with a different 
series of elites. That's about it. And then even there, you usually only have a stratum of people at the very top. Uh, I've read that the, the, the families that make up the uh, ruling elite of China right now, the new, the new billionaires, are the same families that were ruled that uh, were powerful and influential before the the uh, before the revolution of All right, I'm going to sign off here, have a good talk. Uh, talk to you guys soon. Might be doing more of these in the future. And still trying to think of a book to do another uh, reading series on. If anyone has any requests, any suggestions, please let me know. I'm still available to them. I'm still amenable, I'd rather. Bye-bye. <laughs>